Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Here's all you need to know. What does God say? Nothing can stand against us. And we're going to celebrate this morning by looking at these three things. First... Who brings charges against God's elect? Then we're going to look into the infamous promise of no weapon formed against us. And then finally, in completely legal terms, we are going to look at how us as Christians, our defense rests your honor. So first up, who brings charges against God's elect? And the better question is, do we listen or not? So let's look at what Paul says. Romans 8, 33 through 34 says, Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? If God justifies us, does it matter who condemns us? It shouldn't, should it? But does it? And it does. So, who is it that brings charges against God's elect? Because identifying the problem, identifying who it is that brings charges against God's elect, will really put in perspective. God justifies, right? God justifies. So, in comparison to that, let's look at who's bringing the charges. First, we look to my favorite book of the Bible. The book of Job, in the very first chapter, verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand, and his possessions have increased in the land. But reach out with your hand now and touch all that he has. He will certainly curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not reach out and put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Satan brings charges against God's elect. Now notice, everything that Satan does still has to be run by God, right? God is still in control. There is nothing that the enemy can do that takes God by surprise. Nothing. The wildest battle scheme that Satan comes up with He's got to run it by God first. We talked about this a little bit last week with that whole predestination thing, right? It's it's tough for us to grapple with. It's hard for us to understand the wisdom of God in this. God cannot do evil. He's incapable of doing evil. God cannot even tempt us. 
That's how good he is. But Satan can. Satan can and does test our loyalty to God. Satan can and does bring charges against God's elect. So when you hear those charges, whose voice are you hearing? Public enemy number two. What? Not public enemy number one. Because there is an enemy that is far, far more dangerous than Satan, y'all. Public enemy number one hits much closer to home. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He says this, But to me it is in- insignificant matter that I would be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. However, I am not vindicated by this, but the one who examines me is the Lord. I've referenced this passage in sermons before. Pastor Tim Keller has an absolutely fantastic sermon on this passage, Uh, and they've actually transcribed that sermon into this little teensy book. It's called uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Some of you may have purchased it upon my promotion. Um, Others of you may want to purchase it because it's a really, really good book. I'm not going to get into all of that today, but for the sake of our legal proceedings, and we're going to get into this in the last point, but we're going to touch on it right now. What Paul's talking about here, he goes into strictly legal terms when he talks about this. It's an insignificant matter that I would be examined by you, and that word examined is a legal term. When, you know, when, a, when a prosecutor or defense attorney comes up and examines a witness, it's an insignificant matter to me, Paul says, if I, if I am examined by you or any human court, who brings charges against God's elect? Other people. Come on, somebody. Outside voices. You all know you listen to them. Don't sit here and pretend that you don't. And I think, you know, as, as Christians, we love to trump up, you know, the, the, the impact that Satan has on us and, you know, how we can't, we can't listen to Satan's lies and all this stuff. So much so that sometimes I think we downplay what others say about us and how much we let that impact us. Now, look, it's all good and well when they're saying bad things because we can shove that off and, oh, I don't have to listen to that. But what happens when they say good things? We get a little too high on the horse, right? We start letting that puff us up. But are we listening to the right voice? We listen to others. Who else brings charges against God's elect, according to Paul here? Yourself. You do. And depending on where you're at in this strange, we've got this really odd cultural pendulum right now going on. You know, it's, it's, it has been over on this side in this realm, and now it start, it's swung all the way on the other side, and so you've got this odd generational battle that exists where old people look down their nose at all the young people and tisk tisk tisk, and all the young people look up their nose at the old people and oh, tisk tisk tisk. And it's, it's, so, it's interesting, sociologically speaking, because, because this encapsulates it. This is the problem. Because if you are an older generation, and I have the privilege of sitting right in between, which means I don't struggle with either of them. No, it means I struggle with both of them. 
but, but if you're older, you tend to let what others say about you impact you far more than what you say about yourself. You let the opinion of others drive you. And, and, you know, we look at that as a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing because what that means is you let your society, you let your family, you let your name drive who you are. You let, you know, your, your culture and your traditions and your family tell you who you are. You grow up and you run the family business and you, you know, all those things. And those are very much considered now traditional values. You exist for the good of society. Ask not what you can do for your, no, no, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, right? Mike is doing it again. You better stand perfectly still and we're not going to have any problems. Just kidding. Just kidding. But the opposite side of that pendulum is that we say, nobody can tell me what to do. It's all about me. It's all about what I think and what I feel. And y'all, all you got to do is watch some of the Disney movies that are coming out, right? Disney movies used to be very... You are defined by your family values. You are defined by your family. You're defined. Not anymore. Are they? Are they? Now it's all about me. Me. But careful, y'all. Because when we get into these generational battles, we fight for the wrong thing. Because what's Paul say? Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. God is the only one who can bring charges against you. Y'all, the world is going to bring charges against you. Others around you. I've been, I've been a pastor for 10 years now, almost 10 years, something like that. Y'all, there are no shortage of charges that have been brought against me. All the way down the line, look, look, both sides. You know, I've had people rag on me for the decisions that I've made. I have had people accuse me of all sorts of things. But here's the other thing. I have accused myself of all sorts of things. It doesn't stop, y'all. Fairly recently, probably this week if I'm being honest, <laughs> I've convinced myself, I convinced myself, Am I, I'm not even worthy to do this, God. And I hear that voice, that voice of the enemy. Did God really say, Jeremy, to go into ministry? Did God really call you to pastor a church? Are you, are you sure you're doing this right? Because if you were doing this right, right? Look, I'm sure every single one of you out there has an opinion of this sermon right now of every sermon that I have ever preached. Some good, some bad. And if that doesn't kill me, running after the approval of people, then what does kill me is running after my perception of the opinion of people, right? Because even if you all love me, I will go home today because this is the kind of person I am. I will go home today and I will comb back through this sermon 
and think of all the things that I screwed up. Doggone it, Jeremy. Why don't you remember to turn your microphone on before service starts? Why are you still using that faulty cable that peeps popping every time? Why did you say this instead of that? And I'll kill myself. But the question is, did I say the words that God intended? God is the one who brings charges. Look at how Paul finishes this section that we just looked at. I intentionally left the best part out so that I could smack you over the head with it. Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. God is the only one worthy to bring charges against his elect. And what charges did God bring? How does God handle these charges? Jesus Christ. God sent his one and only son who died was raised, and now sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no one else who can rightfully bring charges against us. For us who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, y'all, if anyone accuses me, God is sitting at the, or I'm sorry, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God to say, I've covered that. Any accusation, Jesus is at the right hand of God to say, I've covered that. Now, pay close attention to wording, though. There is no one who can rightfully bring charges against God's elect. But that does not mean that they don't try, does it? That doesn't mean that Satan doesn't try. That doesn't mean that others don't try. That doesn't mean that we don't try. And that's where we get into this very popular name it and claim it promise. Any of you heard this one? No weapon formed against you will prosper, right? And we preach on it, and we name it and claim it. You know, I find it very interesting. I would love if God operated like this. But if he only allowed people to name and claim promises that they could give the scripture reference to. How many of you know where this passage comes from in the Bible? Just shoot up your hand if you know. It is Isaiah. Yep, the book of Isaiah. Isn't that so interesting, though? But it's in worship songs, so we name it and claim it. But I would love it if God would be like, actually, wh where is that from? Hey, yeah, you don't get it if you don't know where it's from in my word. God's a lot nicer than I am. Aren't you thankful for that? But this is what it says in the passage of Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you will succeed. And you will condemn every tongue that accuses you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. 
and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Now, what the promise is versus what the promise is not. Weapons will be formed against you. Come on, somebody. Weapons will be formed against you. Charges will be brought against you. The promise is not that they won't be brought against you. Yet we have entire generations of Christians who flip out when weapons are formed against them. We lose our minds when things don't go our way, when it looks like the enemy is winning. But that's because they don't know the actual promise. The weapon formed against you will not succeed. Or if you like the older translations, like we sang in that worship song today, the weapon formed against you will not prosper. The promise is that the weapon won't prosper. But if you pay close attention, it's kind of a double-edged promise, right? Because it does say a weapon will be formed. God, God never promises that there will be no trouble. Quite the opposite, in fact. All throughout Scripture, Jesus' promise to his followers is that there will be trouble. More so if you follow him. And the closer you follow Jesus, the more trouble will come. But the promise is that he will be with you through the trouble. In every weapon, in every charge, Jesus Christ is with you to fight that charge, to fight that weapon. Paul says this, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We were, we were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one can, right? But that doesn't mean that no one will try. Just like the weapons formed against us. Try. If it starts spazzing again, I'll, I'll do it. But, <laughs> but here's the thing, y'all. We've got to be realistic about this stuff. Because if we aren't realistic, if we aren't realistic, then we're not going to know how to deal with these problems, right? So if we sit around offering to other Christians that the promise is that there's no weapon, we're never going to learn how to fight. But we've got to know how to fight. We've got to know, look, Paul wouldn't say this, right? What will separate us from the love of Christ? He would, if there was nothing, he'd say nothing. Yay. That's not what he says. He names these things, tribulation, trouble, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. All of those things will try to separate you from the love of Christ. Will you let them? Will you let them? 
things are going to come against you. People are going to bring charges against you. Some of y'all are your worst enemy. You won't let yourself win. Jesus is saying, you can't even bring charges against God's elect. He has paid for it. Why do you keep bringing it up? He has paid for it. Why do you let others continue to judge you for your past? He has paid for it. Why do you continue to allow Satan to whisper deceit? It's very interesting. There's this passage in here that Paul quotes. It comes from Psalm 44. And I was really on the fence. I wanted to just read part of it to save time. But y'all, we got to read the whole thing. It's not a huge psalm, but it's, it's longer. But guys, this is such an interesting psalm. There are only a handful of psalms that exist like this. But I wanted to read the entire thing to you so you can see that I'm not lying about this. Read, this, is, this is Psalm 44. This is what it says. God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations. Then you planted them. You afflicted the peoples. Then you let them go free. For by their own sword they did not possess the land, and their own arm did not save them. But your right hand and your arm in the light of your presence, for you favored them. You are my king, God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversaries. Through your name we will trample down those who rise against us. For I will not trust in my bow, nor will my sword save me. But you have saved us from our adversaries, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted all day long, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Break. Now. Watch how this psalm turns. Yet, you have rejected us and brought us dishonor, and do not go out with our armies. You caused us to turn back from the enemy, and those who hate us have taken spoils for themselves. You turn us over to be eaten like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sell your people cheaply and have not profited by their sale. You make us an object of reproach to our neighbors, of scoffing and ridicule to those around us. You make us a proverb among the nations, a laughingstock among the people. All day long my dishonor is before me, and I am covered with my humiliation because of the voice of one who taunts and reviles, because of the presence of the enemy and the avenger. All this time, or I'm sorry, all this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you. And we, have, and we have not dealt falsely with your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, and our steps have not deviated from your way. Yet you have crushed us in a place of jackals and covered us with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would God not find this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. But for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Wake yourself up. Why do you sleep, Lord? Awake. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? 
For our souls have sunk down into the dust. Our bodies cling to the earth. Rise up, be our help, and redeem us because of your mercy. There are only a handful of psalms like this. And Western Christianity runs from them like the plague. Come on, somebody. Have you ever heard this psalm read in a church service? Probably not, right? Kudos to the church that does. I didn't want to preach from it today. Who does? But let's be real. When you read a psalm like this, and like I said, there's only a handful of them, but there are psalms like this. You get done reading it and you think, uh, God, you got to talk to your editor because there's no way you wanted that in here. Because, like, I'm doing this evangelism thing where I'm trying to get people to come to church. And you put a psalm in your word like that, and that makes it really tricky for me to get people to come to church. Right? Guys, this doesn't paint God in a good light, does it? What's David saying here? I mean, we expect the psalms that we like are ones that say, God, we have suffered, we have, but we've also sinned. We've really screwed the pooch, and so <laughs> we kind of deserve what we're getting. That's not what this says. David says, we've obeyed your laws. We have worshipped the one true God. We've never lifted our hands to false idols. And yet, our enemies win again and again and again. What gives, God? What is going on? This psalm does not make God look good, which makes it one of the most realistic passages of Scripture that there is. Y'all, this is so interesting to me. We Christians get so worried about making God look good. We get so worried about making God palatable for unbelievers. We've got every justification to why God did these things that he did. And, oh, these things don't nullify the love of God. And he's still a fun God. And we can have great times. We are so worried about making God look good. But is it interesting to anyone else that if you actually read your word, God never once tries to make himself look good. Come on, somebody. Old Testament, God doesn't give a rip what you think about him. God's not out there like, guys, come on. Fun time's over here. I'll Free ice cream if you come and hang out with me. He doesn't do that. God is God. And if that's not enough to get you to his feet, he's not bending to make you come to him. And if you need any more proof of that, look at the Gospels. Because that's where the world loves to look, right? Jesus, who loves all, and he's the mother chick who just takes people in. And, oh, soft Jesus. We love him, don't we? He's the little plush action figure. Never, not one time in the Gospels, does Jesus attempt to be popular. Does Jesus try to be well-known? Does Jesus seek power or prestige or, or influence? Not once. All through the Gospels, Jesus says, I am who I am. 
if you don't like it, then I'm not for you. But you don't get anything else. Interesting that, isn't that how God announced himself to Moses? I am who I am. And I'm not going to change who I am to make you comfortable. And I'm not going to change who I am to get more people in the door. And I'm not going to change who I am to fit your agenda. So you better be with me. That's the message of the entire Bible. And once we get that through our thick skulls, that God's not trying to be popular, then we can actually learn the lesson that he wants from Psalm 44 and from the rest of these passages, from the entire Bible, y'all. God does not promise happy endings on this earth. And as long as you are looking for one, you will never find the real God. And the real promises of God will always disappoint you. So many people are let down by a God who doesn't exist. Because they're looking for a God, a fairy tale God, that's going to give them their happy ending on this earth. And that's not where God's happy ending comes. So when David writes Psalm 44, when all of these other Psalms, that they don't have an uplifting ending, it doesn't say at the end of this Psalm, well, someday everything's going to turn around. That's not what it says. Life is hard. We have fallen behind. Our enemies are winning, and they might always win. But God, you're worth it. Rise up and be our help and redeem us because of your mercy. Paul says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, but that's not because the world isn't going to try. Psalm 44 says the world is going to try and win. There are going to be times in your walk, Christian, where it looks like the world has won. Jesus Christ was dead and buried for three days, y'all. The world won. Yet, yet, on that Easter Sunday, Jesus rose again, not to give us a happy ending on this life, on this world, on this earth, but to give us an eternal happy ending. But y'all, we will never see that if our anchor isn't thrown outside of this world. You know, sailors out there, boaters. If a storm hits and you've got an anchor, that anchor does you absolutely no good while it's in your boat, does it? God, I've got my anchor. I'm holding on to it, and I'm still getting tossed around by these waves. It's because you didn't throw it out of the boat, you idiot. Right? Come on. If you're holding on to your anchor in the boat, it doesn't do you any good. You've got to throw it out of the boat. Christian, if your anchor is in this world, it is not going to hold you through anything. You've got to throw it out of the boat. You've got to throw it into eternity with Jesus Christ. 
in the midst of this broken world, how do we keep our eyes fixed on this immovable love of God? And the answer to that is we have to see the reality of what Jesus has done for us. Because in this courtroom, God says that our defense rests. Let's review. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justified. We would be missing out if we ignored the fact that Paul turns very legal here. Very legalistic of him. He does the same thing in that passage we read in 1 Corinthians 4. It's insignificant for me if I am examined by you or any human court. I do not even examine myself. The one who examines me is the Lord. And here, who is against us? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justified. I want you all to step into this courtroom with me. Some of you have been in a courtroom, right? Hopefully for good reasons. Stephen's been in a lot of courtrooms. Maybe just one courtroom a lot of times, but... You know what a courtroom looks like. Step into this courtroom, the cosmic courtroom in front of God's throne. Can you imagine what that would be like? Standing before the judgment seat of a holy and perfect and all-powerful God. Face to face with perfection. That's the judge you stand before. Now here's the thing, you're not innocent, are you? Come on now. There are a few self-righteous people who can claim, well, I'm not as bad as, and then you usually pick the worst person you can think of. I mean, (laughs) Adolf Hitler, I'm not that bad, right? That's not perfect, y'all. And standing before God, That's not going to cut it. Not as bad as fill in the blank is not going to cut it. No one, if we're being honest, will even attempt to claim innocence. Especially not before God. But that is the beauty of the gospel. Look at what Jesus Christ did for you. Stand in awe of your Savior. Stand in awe of the God whose perfect will made a way for you. Because look at what Romans 8 says. God is the one who justifies. He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him over for us all. You are not innocent. I am not innocent. Yet, every single charge against me has been dropped. Every single charge against you has been dismissed. 
step into the courtroom, y'all, and look. There are no longer any charges that can be brought against you. The jury has been sent home. The judge has pounded that gavel and has stepped off the judgment seat. The courtroom is empty. Jesus paid it all. When anyone brings charges against God's elect, you, your debt has been paid. Jesus Christ stood in your place and took the full wrath of God so that you can walk into an empty courtroom and all of the voices, y'all, every single voice that brings charges against you, you can tell them my debt has been paid. There are no charges that can be brought against God's elect. Look, I don't know who is currently bringing charges against you, but I know there's someone. I know there's something because I know the way this world works. Satan will work overtime to keep your eyes off this promise of God. He will make you question others, whether they mean well or not, will make you question. They'll try to pull you back into that life of sin that you left. They'll do anything they can to get you to remember the past so that you don't step into the glorious future that God has for you. And even yourself, Jeremy Allen Metzger, self-sabotage it every step of the way. Anything, anything to try to convince myself that I don't owe my life to this Savior. But y'all, no one, no one can bring charges against God's elect. Your sin is done. Jesus Christ nailed it to the cross and made a mockery of it. Any addiction, anything in your past, Jesus paid it all. No one can bring charges against God's elect. So can I give you a silver bullet? Can I give you a weapon to form against that weapon that has been formed against you? When anyone yourself, others, the enemy, when anyone brings charges against you, God's elect. You fight with this, Romans 8, 37. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Every voice, every voice that brings charges, y'all, you shout this down at them. Praise God. We're going to talk about it more next week. But until then, y'all, put this in your memorization bag. Memorize this one. And when those voices come up, you remind them that you overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus Christ who loved you and gave his life for you. Amen? Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointing to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.